now for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't have to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, therapy is often not enough. Paws for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal or ESA in their apartment, dorm, condo, etc. We even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own. Patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs, but when he had the love of his dog Cece, he had the strength to persevere. We want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support. Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering and silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring. Ahoy, and welcome into the Maglerverse, where I, Dan Magler, social worker and life enthusiast, pull back the curtain on mental health treatment, answer your questions about how mental health works and how you can find help, whether you are a person who just has an interest, if you are a clinician, whoever you are, if you have questions, you can email me at daniel.magler at live.com. That's daniel.magler at live.com. And you can also follow me on Quora. I've been a social worker mostly in schools for 20 years. I also worked in group homes and adolescent psychiatric facilities. So uh, know my way around a lot of different kinds of mental health issues, particularly when it comes to youth. Working in my private practice today, I was talking to a client who, like many of my clients, undervalues herself. And she was talking about how when she is in any way responsible for a person choosing to say, go to an event or go on a trip or come over to her home, she feels this overwhelming sense of responsibility that anything that happens to them or for them is her fault, they need to be having fun or she is a total failure. And I brought out one of my really annoying truisms, these things that I say over and over and over. And again, these are not mine, these are things that I've stolen from other mental health practitioners, but again, they work and they're true. And the first one is there, you don't get special rules. The idea being, if you put somebody else, one of these, she had some friends in town uh, that were on the Chicago area for Lollapalooza, and she felt like she needed to kind of set an agenda and make sure they were entertained all the time, even though she had errands to run and things to do. And she knew that these friends would not have cared. They were really comfortable just hanging out at her house, watching television, but she couldn't let herself go take care of her errands and do the things that she needed to do because she got filled with this anxiety that she would be somehow failing. And so I told her, we have to ask ourselves when we're having that feeling, what if the roles were reversed? If you were over at your friend's house, would you expect them? Would you feel like they were a terrible friend if they went to the bank or if they took care of some stuff they needed to do for their upcoming semester at school? And she was like, oh, no, of course not. When you know she was out of town, one of her friends got hit by a car and she thought, you know, oh my gosh, like if I hadn't invited this person on this trip or whatnot, this wouldn't have happened. 
I said, you've, other people have invited you on trips. If you broke your leg when you were skiing on a trip where somebody else invited you, would you blame them? No. Well, so if the answer is no, if it doesn't apply to other people, then we know we're doing bad science. If in the scientific world, we don't ever believe we have something proven, we have very few scientific laws. And so when somebody makes a new discovery, the first thing they have to do is try to test it in a different environment. And if you cannot replicate the results, so if I can turn lead into gold, but then you try the same technique in your lab and it doesn't work, then we know that's bad science. And we know that if I am saying, okay, this only applies to me. So anybody else could, you know, go talk to a friend of the opposite sex and not be a horrible person. But if I do that, I'm a terrible partner. Um, no, if it doesn't apply to everybody else, then it doesn't count if it doesn't fit. Another thing that we were talking about, in addition to the no special rules, is this idea of what, like, what are we getting out of this? What are we getting out of telling ourselves that, well, I must do these things? And this idea that the thing that we're most afraid of has already happened. And the question is, if I'm afraid of dying in lava, how could that have already happened? If that's my big fear, like, you know, I'm gonna get thrown into a volcano, like Joe versus the volcano, and, and I'm gonna burn up. Well, the question is, have I ever actually died in a volcano? No. Then how do I know what it's going to be like? And why am I afraid of it? So when we have those kind of fears, a lot of times it's a bunch of our biggest fears all bundled together. So maybe I have felt I've been burned before. I burned myself on the stove when I was a little kid. I was My mom was cooking peas on the stove and I was moving the handle back and forth and I got a little too close to the flame. And gosh, that was terrible. And for days and days afterwards, we weak blisters, things like that. So maybe I'm really afraid of being burned. And maybe I imagine, I took my geology classes and I know that there's a lot of smoke and ash and it's really hard to breathe and choking and you know, whatnot. And this idea of dying and being suffocated and hot and burned all at the same time are things I lump together. So these are all coming from fears that I have that are connected. But most people's biggest fears aren't dying in lava. They're feeling isolated and powerless. And for many people, the worst time in their lives, if they go back, was around age 13. And there's a statement that we are all a reaction to who we were at 13. So for the client I was dealing with today, at 13 and 14, and even beginning of 15, she was really isolated and powerless. She did not have any friends. And she went to school every day and felt more and more insecure and didn't know how to get started. And she felt desperate. And there's such a big difference between zero friends and one friend, because when we have one, we can easily build. And now she's got piles of friends and the rest of high school like went really pretty well for her, but she still goes back to that fear and that feeling. So how does that relate to this need to be a perfect friend? Well, it's pretty simple. There's a part of her that has internalized this idea that if I don't become the perfect host all the time for my friends, eventually I might get back to that core fear. I told her, I, I have an example of another client. He was in high school and blew out his knee and had to go re, it was really bad and was out of school for several weeks and had to rehab at home. And while he was at home, no one checked on him. No one called him. And he thought, if I was a better friend, people would care. People would notice. So throughout college and the rest of high school, he built himself into the perfect friend. And he had tons of friends. The problem was he didn't have good boundaries. 
And he would do anything for his friends, even before they would ask him. He was the guy that would pick you up from the airport. He was the guy that would help everyone move. But he didn't even wait for friends to ask him to you know, pick him up. He would volunteer it. And it got to be exhausting. It was so exhausting that eventually he moved out of state so he could start fresh with different expectations for people because it, he couldn't bear the idea of resetting things with his friends. And he knew his friends were not, you know, they wouldn't have been like, you're terrible. You're not volunteering to pick me up in the airport. But for him to create a new identity where he wasn't the perfect friend was too scary. And I said to her today that that's, I don't want that for her. I want her to feel like she can have reciprocal, sustainable relationships. And that is actually, it's ironically, when we are reciprocal in our relationships, when we, when we just, when we have a friendship where we just give and give and give and give and give, and we never ask for anything back. We, we sometimes imagine it's like we're putting money into a piggy bank and we're hoping that when we really need that person, that we're going to be able to open up the piggy bank and there's going to be all this love and support and care there because we've invested so much. But when we keep investing and never withdrawing, that person doesn't look at us that way. And very frequently, it's like when we go to when we go to the piggy bank, there's nothing there because it's like there was a hole in the bottom and they've actually taken that that energy they we've invested in them and they've spread it out to other people. And it feels so unfair. The only way to prevent that is to build more reciprocal relationships from the beginning. One of the strongest shapes in architecture is the arch because it has equal pressure on both sides. And when we're building relationships, be it a friendship or romantic relationship, anything, it's really important that we don't build it in a lopsided way, but that we, from the beginning, when we are supporting someone, we are also asking them for help and support. Otherwise, the relationship will collapse of its own weight. And the, again, it's not to say we can't have some people in our lives like that, but if, these, if we want this to be our core relationship, then we have to make sure that we're building it in a sustainable way where I'm giving and I'm getting, and I'm giving and I'm getting back and forth. So another topic that we were talking about is this idea of her as she goes off to college thinking, gosh, what if I end up being this lonely person again? What if I don't make any friends? Even though, again, she's had so many experiences where she's gone off and made friends and done great. And I said, if we, this idea of manifesting is really popular right now. People talk about like, well, if you know, you just put it out into the universe, like the old book, The Secret. And I don't believe in that, but I do believe, you know, I was a lacrosse coach for a long time, and that if when we're shooting, if we look at the goalie, we're going to hit the goalie. If we look at the net, we're going to hit the net. Or in bowling, when a person's bowling, they, they're they not actually even supposed to look at just the pins. There's actually these little arrows in the lane that are about, you know, 10 feet down the lane. And we when we roll the ball, we look at that intermediate goal that hits us toward our main goal. And when we look at that and we roll the ball toward that and focus on that and actually even extend our hand out toward that, it puts us into good technique. So manifesting isn't just a mindset. It's also a matter of technique and saying, looking toward these positive things and saying, where is it that I want to get to? When we put our energy toward telling ourselves that we're a terrible friend, that we're boring, that nobody's going to like us, the function of that is to level set and it's to lower our expectations. It's because we're afraid of being disappointed, but it also puts us technique wise on a bad trajectory. That's like looking toward the gutter when we're bowling or looking toward the goalie, we're going to hit the negative thing. Again, it's not just the universe reaching out and filling our vibes. It's, it's a matter of the technique of where we're positioning ourselves. The subconscious 
cannot process negative goals. Meaning, if I say I never want to weigh 400 pounds, my subconscious hears I want to weigh 400 pounds. If I say I never want my boyfriend to cheat on me, my subconscious hears I want my boyfriend to cheat on me. So what do I do if I don't want to weigh 400 pounds, which I would prefer not to? Well, what I try to say is I want to be playing lacrosse when I'm 60. Instead of saying, okay, I, because if I'm focusing on not weighing 400 pounds, I'm always focusing on food and eating and what I'm not eating. And then I'm obsessing about food as opposed to if I say I want to be playing lacrosse when I'm 60, you know, it's the question of why don't I want to weigh 400 pounds? If I was weighing 400 pounds, but I was like brick shithouse, if I was just all muscle, I, I think that'd still be pretty gross at 400 pounds. But the point is like, maybe it could be healthy. Um, I don't, because I envision a 400 pound person having a difficulty moving difficulty enjoying life, getting on a bicycle, doing those other things that I, so when the reason I don't want to weigh 400 pounds is because I want to have, be able to have an active and fun lifestyle where I can go upstairs without my knees really hurting or things like that. And so for me, I envision the thing I want to be doing most, which is, you know, still playing lacrosse and that now with my mindset, well, now I'm thinking about, you know, I go and work out, I go and do the things that I, I have to do to keep myself healthy so that I can achieve that goal. If I'm in a relationship and I don't want to get cheated on, if again, if I'm focusing on that person cheating, how am I going to act? I'm going to be jealous. I'm going to be nervous. I'm going to be checking their phone. I'm going to be, what were you doing there? Why were you talking to that person? Okay. Is that going to make the person more or less likely to cheat on me? Probably more. So if I don't want to have a relation that where there's uh, cheating and infidelity, what's the positive? Well, how about, you know, I want to have a healthy relationship. Like I want to have fun in my relationship. I want my partner to feel like my best friend. Okay. And what's happening when I'm doing that? Well, I want to go miniature golfing with my partner. Cause that's like so fun. Or I want to, <laughs> you're like, what is that thing that we like to do and focus on that. So when we're feeling insecure, instead of focusing on the negative, let's focus on the positive of where we're, where we're trying to get to and put our mindset toward that. So Again, in this chat, I've hit a lot of my main uh, tropes that I repeat over and over and over again. And these are the things that make me so annoying. These ideas of not being able to have special rules of the subconscious, not being able to process negative goals. So hopefully um, you've dealt with these things and you will unfortunately probably hear me say these over and over again in future conversations. If you have questions for me about mental health, remember, email me at daniel.magler at live.com. If you have a topic or something that you would like me to address, please reach out. And remember, do whatever it takes to get you through this world. Until we talk again, you're just not allowed to die.